want to welcome all of you to our brand new series called Light. We're going to be talking about that all Christmas season long. Ever since I've been a little kid and we came back from the mission field here in the States, I've always just been in awe and enjoyment of the many different colors of lights at, at the Christmas season, you know, those twinkling lights set against the dark sky or dressing a, a Christmas tree, I think are just quite beautiful. But the problem is they're artificial lights. They're artificial lights. And they can't really keep you warm. And they won't grow your plants. And uh, they have a tendency to fade and break. It seems like every year. How many of you have encountered that already? It worked last year. This year it won't. And you're hunting down the one bulb, right? It's just insane. It's just insane. Life would be a, a tragedy if all we had was artificial light. Have you ever thought about that? If the only light that existed was artificial, it, it would be tragic. We need natural light to live. Jesus made some important statements about light. In John chapter 9 and verse 5, he said, I am the light of the world. And over in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, those who follow me will no longer walk in darkness. I'll give to them the light of life. The light of life. So the question is this. What is the light that is guiding your pathway these days? What's the light that influences your children, your family, the students? What's the light that is kind of giving you sight and direction, the decisions you make and where you're going in life? It's a really important question, especially since Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He appears luminous. He seems beautiful. He seems warm and inviting. But it's all artificial light. Because he's not the true light. And our world is filled with the artificial. The artificial that we co-conspire with the enemy of creating to serve ourselves. And the artificial can never substitute for the real. So are you living by, are you being guided by the right light? To answer that question, we're going to look at two passages of Scripture. The first I'm going to tell more than I read. The second we'll read through. If you want to follow along, the first area we're going to look at is Matthew chapter 16. So you can turn open if you like or turn your Bibles on like I will today. And I'll welcome all of our guests who are with us by way of the Internet, especially our global partners around the world. We're going to go to the north of Israel, to the modern-day border between Israel and Lebanon. In ancient times, the place I'm talking about was known as Caesarea Philippi. And there, Jesus asked his followers two very important questions. The first question was this, who do men or the crowd say that I am? I want you to imagine what would happen this week at school for our students or at work, or at the club, or in the neighborhood, or maybe one of your adopt seven calls you, 
or emails you and wants to know, who do you, I, you know, Christmas, Jesus, who is Jesus? How would you answer them? How would you answer them? Well, the disciples said, word on the street is, some people think you're John the Baptist. Come back to life again. Some say the prophet Elijah. Some say the prophet Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? What do you believe about me? You've given me everybody's opinions. What do you specifically believe about me? Peter, who is never at a loss for words, you know something about Peter in the scriptures, you just got to kind of keep an eye on him. I mean, once in a while when he speaks, he's got tremendous things to say. And sometimes when he speaks, you ever heard that term, putting your foot in your mouth? <coughs> or foot and mouth disease? Peter struggles with it. This time, though, he nailed it. He said, you are the Christ. That's who you are. You are the Christ, the son or the son of the living God. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter got it right. Jesus must have been pleased. He moves the front of the classroom, so to speak. In fact, the text tells us there in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus blesses him in verse 17. Matthew 16, 17. You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't come by this by some human knowledge. And then Jesus tells him that he's going to have a pretty integral part in the establishment of Christ's church on earth. Peter must have been pleased himself, don't you think? I can imagine him giving kind of a look to the other guys. I got it. Told you I'm smarter than the rest of you. But boy, things are about to change. Neither Peter nor any of the other disciples could have expected what came from Jesus next. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, Jesus tells them he's going to go to Jerusalem. And when he gets there, he's going to be rejected. He's going to suffer. He's going to be killed. But on the third day, he will rise again. But their ears never got past the shock of hearing Jesus say he was going to die. They became totally deaf to everything after that. They couldn't hear anything else that he was saying. Now, if Peter was the first to confess, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he was going to be the first to defend Jesus. In fact, he reprimands Jesus. He says, heaven forbid, I will never let this happen to you. This is never going to happen to you. Now, if Jesus blessed Peter, for his great confession, you expect that Jesus is going to praise him for his courage and willingness to stand up for his friend. But instead, what, come out of, what comes out of Jesus' mouth shocked Peter. I'm sure it shocked him, and probably the rest as well. For Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. You're a dangerous trap to me, it says in the Living Translation. And then Jesus says, verse 23, you're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Verse 24, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. 
Gee, uh, Peter must have been hurt, don't you think? May have Jesus curse you? I mean, compare you to the devil? Why does Jesus do that? Why does he say that to Peter? He tells us why he says it. He says in verse 23, you are seeing things from a human perspective, not God's. Couple it with verse 24, you must give up your own way. Human perspective, your own way. You're seeing things from a human point of view, your own way, not God's. And that is such a very dangerous thing. And all of us struggle with it. We slip into it so easily. See, the problem was Peter had the right confession, but the wrong point of view. To put it another way, he believed vertically, but he was still living and interpreting, interpreting everything horizontally. He had his own world view. And he was interpreting God through his, his own world view. Or to put it more crudely, Peter believed in Jesus, and he loved Jesus, and he had a wonderful plan for Jesus' life. And so do you, and so do I. All of us are shaped by our environment and the 10,000 ways it happens every day we don't even know. We were conceived in sin. We have a sinful human nature. And that sinful human nature is all about pleasing me. That sinful human nature wants, wants its own ultimate happiness. And it's driven by our desires. And the world provokes, teases, coaxes, and plays on those desires in our life. And creates an artificial world that says, if we'll chase that light, if we'll pursue what we have co-created with the evil one, we will ultimately be happy. And we hear it so many ways. I mean, it just never stops coming into our eyes and our ears and our minds and our hearts. We're not driven by knowledge. You know, I think it was Descartes who said, I know, therefore I am. Therefore, therefore I, you know, knowledge is what it's all about. That's not true. It's not true. You are driven by your desires, not by what you know. That's why sometimes you do things that you know better than to do, right? It's because our heart primarily, our yearnings, is what drives our life. And we yearn to be happy. We yearn to be fulfilled. And the world's created this huge buffet line. So many ways for us to experience that. And that's why Jesus is so hard on Peter. He says you can't live life by your own perspective. You've got, you've got the wrong point of view. You've got the human point of view. And we all struggle with that. And what that leads to in our lives is disappointment, discouragement, and disbelief. And look at the disciples for a minute. After this point on, when they get to Jerusalem and they see Jesus being brutalized and hanging on the cross and dying, the implications for them are huge. They're sitting there thinking, you know, it's all over for us. We left everything to follow him, and this is how it all turns out. If Jesus had only listened to their point of view, if he'd only seen things the way they saw things, we'd all be happy right now. 
And, and you and I, we go through that too. And sometimes on a pretty regular basis. I believe in you, Jesus. I, I love you. I, I pray to you. I sacrifice. I serve you. I give to you, Lord. I don't understand why you don't heal my father or my mother or my son or my daughter or my friend. Man, I, I pray. I ask you. I, I quote your word to you. I, I don't understand. God, I love you. I believe in you. I pray. I serve you. I don't understand, Lord, why you don't provide for me in this situation or for him or for her. I don't understand, God, why you don't change that situation. Why, why you're not changing the trajectory of our country right now. God, I, I don't understand how you are so loving and yet you let this happen. And we tumble into disbelief and disappointment. I'm going to just be really forthright with you and tell you something about me. On more than a few occasions, God has really disappointed me. Some of you are sitting there going, I don't even want to hear that from my pastor. <laughs> but I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not going to pretend. On more than a few occasions, on more than a few occasions, God has disappointed me. He just hasn't answered prayer the way I believe if he would answer prayer, <laughs> things would be better, things would be different. He didn't change things the way I, I, that if he did, it would work out so much better. And, and it leaves me sometimes doubtful and disappointed and discouraged. Not because I don't like being alone. Anybody else? All right. See, the problem is, when that happens to me, and I don't even realize it, I slipped into Dale's point of view. And it makes so much sense to me. That's the problem. If it makes sense to me, certainly it must make sense to God. He's God. I'm not. Yep, that's true. He's God. I'm not. And that's the problem. I got to change my perspective. I got to get a different point of view. And so now I want you to turn to me to the passage we're going to camp on for a little bit. Found over in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Why don't you come down to verse 28. I'm going to read this passage slow because I want it to soak in. Because this happens a few days after Jesus tells Peter he's blessed and tells Peter he's in trouble. When Jesus says, I'm going, to go do, I'm going to go suffer, die. Of course, they were deaf to him saying, I'm going to rise again. Happens a few days after he says, Peter, your problem is you get the human point of view. You're trying to do things your own way. It says in verse 28, about eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, James up on a mountain to pray. We're not exactly sure what mountain scholars say, and I, many scholars say, and I agree, probably Mount Hermon, the tallest mountain in Israel. It's in the right location geographically in the context, 7,000 feet high. I don't know if they went all the way top or not. Verse 29, as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. And Abby says, like lightning, they shone. Verse 30, suddenly two men, Moses and Elijah, 
appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see. They were in glorious form. And they were speaking about his exodus. That's the right translation there. So I prefer the NLT here. Not departing, but exodus. There's a play on that word we'll come back to. From this world, which is about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Verse 32. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Elijah, uh, uh, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them. Terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice of the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice finished, Jesus was alone. See, Jesus takes him up the mountain. If you go up anything, you're always going to get a different new kind of perspective on everything, right? But Jesus didn't take them up the mountain for a physical perspective. He took them up the mountain for a spiritual, mental, emotional perspective. He takes them up to give them God's point of view. God's point of view. Not the human point of view. To show them that ultimately what matters in life is God, is Jesus, his son. And they need to listen to what he has to say, even if from their perspective, he doesn't make a lot of sense. And what I can't get over is verse 32. What's it say in verse 32? It says that he took them up to pray and they were sleeping. How can you sleep at a time like this? Jesus is being turned inside out. His glory is emanating, not artificial light. The sun's not reflecting off of him. He's literally, I mean, he's luminescent. He's, he's glowing with the, the glory, the presence of God. And these guys are sleeping. It's not the first time they fall asleep. If you follow the story and you go on into Jerusalem, when they go to another mountain, a short mountain, small mountain called Mount of Olives, he takes them into a garden called Gethsemane. He takes Peter, James, and John further in the garden, and he says to them, pray. When he comes back to find them, they're sleeping. Why are they sleeping here? Well, I think they're sleeping for a couple of reasons. One is I think they're tired. <laughs> I don't know how long a hike it was. But the, it's more than just they are tired. Have you ever noticed that when you get depressed, when you're worried, when you're discouraged, you sleep more? Why? It's a self-defense mechanism. It's a turning in. Going back to the fetal position, it's a covering of myself. And ever since Jesus said he's going to go and he's going to die, these guys are struggling. This isn't the way it's supposed to work out. Sometimes the best thing to do is to shut down and shut it all off. Can't see, can't hear, get my mind on a dream, something else. I have to be aware of it. Fortunately, though, they wake up. And when they wake up, it says that Peter spoke up. And did you notice when it said that Peter spoke up? It says that he did not know what he was saying. My mom always taught me that if you don't know what you're saying, shut up. (laughs) 
because what's coming out is probably not good. Wow, Moses says. We got, we got Elijah, we got Moses. Um, Peter says, we got Elijah, we got Moses, we got Jesus on the mountain. Let's build three little memorials, three little shelters, little lean-tos. One for you, Jesus, one for you, Moses, and one for you, Elijah. Let's camp out here, make it our own Mount Olympus right here in Israel. This is fantastic. By the way, ever wondered why Elijah and Moses are there in the first place? Young man last service asked me, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? Great question. Probably in the middle of the conversation, they heard Jesus referring to them as Moses and Elijah, talking to each other. Or afterwards, Jesus, we don't know, but they knew. Don't get hung up on that. You miss what it's all about. They said, well, I know what they're doing. They're told us. Remember, you said that word exodus, right? But they're talking to Jesus about his exodus from this earth through death and resurrection. But more than that, the play on the word exodus, and Moses is there. Moses led the people on an exodus out of slavery to Egypt into freedom of the promised land. Jesus is coming to lead people on an exodus out of slavery to sin and death into the hope and freedom of eternal life. But I think there's another reason why Moses and Elijah appear, and that's so they can disappear. Because at the end it says, and he was left what? Alone. See, what we realize is that Peter's understanding of who Jesus is is still not really complete. Still didn't really get, when he says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, he's right, but he still doesn't get it. Because when, when Elijah shows up and Moses shows up and Peter sees them with Jesus, Peter is in, is in heaven now. I mean, because for him, he's got the great lawgiver, he's got the greatest prophet, and he's got the Messiah. And many of the Jews believed the Messiah was coming in his day, and still some believe that today. But not a Messiah to save the world from sin, but a Messiah to save Israel from the world. So finally, Israel rules they misinterpret Isaiah, and now all the nations would be blessed through her ruling the world. The law is the Savior. Jesus came to say, no, the law points to me. The prophets point to me. I am the Savior. That's why God interrupts and says, no. This is my son whom I've chosen. Listen to him. He's telling you what's going to happen. And then he's left there alone. See, when it talks about the glory of Jesus, when we see his glory there, the word glory literally means weight, W-E-I-G-H-T, W-E-I-G-H-T. Jesus is the weight of God. He's very God. Moses and Elijah are lightweights, comparatively speaking. But Jesus, he's the weight. He's the heavy. He's God himself. So, so God is saying, listen Listen to my son. He's, he's, he's my glory. He's my glory. And you guys, you guys need to stop living for the now. You need to stop living according to your perspective, the world's perspective, human perspective. Stop trusting in religion and legalism and the law and the prophets. Put everything on him and in him alone. 
Aren't you glad that uh, God does not listen to human opinion? (laughs) Because if he did, we'd all be doomed. We would all be doomed. Our ultimate happiness does not come from philosophy, does not come from religion, it does not come from the media, it does not come from video games, it does not come from having the perfect body, it does not come from being successful, it does not come from having the right image, it does not come from great sex, that's what our culture is all about. It doesn't come from any of the artificial stuff the world's created, it just comes from Jesus alone, and that's what's so disappointing for the world this Christmas season, and particularly people living in America. See, historically we know somebody named Jesus lived, but people who really don't know Jesus, their struggle oftentimes, when they know about him but don't have a relationship with him, and even Christians who do, and many of his students are challenged by this as well, because of how you're inundated at school and by the media and by your peers, we don't want to call Jesus wicked, because he's, I mean, look at him, how can you call Jesus wicked? all the things he said and he did. But we also don't want to call him divine. At least we don't want to call him very God. So Christmas is always a conundrum. It's like, what do you do with him? That's why people get disappointed. Now what they would like to do is they would like to have little lean-tos. They'd like to have little temples. And in our society today, in American society, I think what goes in the the temples are a temple for sex, a temple for success, and a temple for Jesus. As long as Jesus approves our view of success and approves our view and our belief and our, our sexual drive and desires and all the ways it can be met. Now that kind of Jesus the world can live with. But God says, no! This is my son. I've chosen him. Get rid of the rest. That's why Jesus said, I'm the only way. I'm the only light, he might as well have said. Everything else is artificial, and it can't save your life. Do you need a, do you need a change of perspective? You might if you're junior high. Your perspectives, your, you guys are in junior high, senior high, your viewpoints are being fashioned already. Do, do, do you, do I, do we need a change of you? If we do, then we got to go up the mountain with God. The problem is some of us are so tired. We're sleepy. It's hard to get up the mountain. I'm not just talking about being physically sleepy. I know some of you are right now. Can't blame you. But we're spiritually sleepy, we're mentally sleepy, we're exhausted, we're fatigued. Do you know why we're so exhausted and fatigued? Because we're trying to live by the human perspective. So we're chasing ourselves silly, you know, especially this Christmas season, to kind of get there and make everybody happy and ourselves happy as well. And we're trying to control everybody and get them to kind of see things from our perspective. And in the same time, we're trying to manage God. Anybody here try to ever manage God? It's exhausting to try to get God to fit in my box. It's really hard. Because he won't fit. 
He won't live by my perspective. So that means I gotta climb the mountain, and when I get on top of the mountain, I've just got to be still, which is hard today. There's so much stimuli around us, it's hard to be still. We need to get still, and we need to worship. You say, what do you mean by worship? One simple definition of worship that came across a couple weeks ago, I love this definition. Listen, I'll say it twice so you get it. Worship is, in, worship is when what we believe becomes real. That's simple. Worship is when what we believe becomes real. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter's confession, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, suddenly becomes very real. Sees Jesus in his glory. Here's a question for our students, because I remember being their age. It's getting harder for me. I remember being your guys' age and being bored out of my mind with church and God. Man, I'm just confessing all over the place, aren't I? How many of you adults remember that? Can you believe that? Why is that? Because God's not real. About on the same par as Santa Claus and Easter Bunny. You know, I watched a little bit of that movie Santa Claus, two or three, I don't know what it was. There's a scene in there. This is, man, I didn't preach this in any other service. It just came to my mind, so I trust the Lord's bringing it for a reason. But they have a council meeting. And they've got Mother Nature there. They've got Jack Frost there. They've got the Easter Bunny there. They've got the, the fairy guy, the tooth fairy guy there. They've got the, the dust, the guy that puts the dust in your eyes there. And they've got Santa Claus there. And I thought from a human perspective, they're just missing one more person. They should have Jesus there. Because that's about where we brought Jesus. No wonder we're so bored. That's not real. Jesus has got to get real. And the only way he's going to get real is we've got to go up the mountain and worship and we've got to wait on him and focus on him. And listen, are you ready for this? We've got to be willing for him to tell us all the lean-tos. I call them lean-ons now that we've got to get rid of. All the things, all the people that we're trusting for our happiness, they've got to be taken off the mountain till all that's left is him. And when all that's left is him, then you'll see and begin to experience him in his glory. Now, I honestly don't like to preach what I don't practice. So the other night, I was wrestling with this message. God was speaking to me deeply. Especially that definition of worship was really, really like bothering me. So I shut all the lights off in the house. I was alone in the house. And I went and sat in, in, at the back of our house. We have a bank of windows in a chair that I only sit on when I pray or when I read and meditate. And I went up the mountain with God. And I tried to be still, which is not easy for me. I made myself be still, and I tried focusing, and I tried talking to God, and I asked God to show me all the shelters in my life, all the little memorials in my life, all the little temples in my life, and God was very good about that. And I prayerfully started taking them down, one to my wife, 
One for each of my three children, four for each of my grandchildren. Big one for Wooddale Church, one to my health, one to my finances. I mean, they were all over the place. And I just dismantled them. And I said, God, my happiness, my joy, my, my meaning in life cannot be in the people I love. It can't be in my, my ministry. It can't be in my abilities. It can't be in my health. It can't be in my finances. It has to be in Jesus alone. Until finally I was able to surrender all those people and all those things to God and just be finally mentally and emotionally on the mountaintop just with him. It was scary. didn't happen quickly. had to wrestle through it. had to be sincere. But when I finally got there, a peace just settled over me. And I realized, I gotta get up this mountain more often, like every day. How about you? Let's pray. Lord, some of us need to go up the mountain. We need one less trip to the mall, we need one less Christmas party, we need one less present, we need to just be with you. And God, we need to be open to hearing you tell us what's competing with your son, what artificial things in our life, oh God, that we're putting all our hope in. Even, Father, the people that we love, even if we're married, our spouse, even our kids, God, as wonderful as they are, Lord, they're not our salvation. They're not ours. They belong to you. We just need to stop trying to manage, control everybody and everything, God, and just be still. Just be content and satisfied that Jesus is enough. Enough. 